Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people with kidney disease discover us. We really appreciate it. Now, on with the show. Clinical trials exist to help prevent, screen for, diagnose, or treat diseases and other health problems. Without them, we wouldn't have new treatments or other advances in health and medicine. But how are the clinical trial endpoints, or the preferred outcomes of these clinical trials, determined? Today, Anthony Guchardo, NKF Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships, Dr. Joseph Vassilotti, NKF's Chief Medical Officer, and Kent Bressel, a patient advocate and FSGS patient, explain this and more. Hi everyone, my name is Marlena Chesner. I use they, them pronouns. I'm the digital content development manager here at NKF. I'm really excited for today's chat. So if everyone can introduce themselves, maybe we can start with Dr. Vassilotti. Yes, uh, well, welcome. I'm uh, Joe Vassilotti. I'm a nephrologist, NKF's chief medical officer, and I'm practicing at Icon School of Medicine at Sinai. Great to be with you here today. Ken? My name is Kent Bressler. And uh, in 1984, I was diagnosed with focal segmental glomerulosclerosis, or FSGS. And that's quite a disease of the kidney, which causes uh, loss of protein. In 87, I received a kidney from my brother in transplant. So that's 36 years ago. And uh, doing very well. So I just wanted to let you know also that I was in the United States Army. And I've had a love for this research into uh, kidney disease, especially in FSGS. So I'm really appreciative of being allowed to talk at this program. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for your service. Um, so Anthony, could you introduce yourself as well? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Anthony Guchardo. I am the Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships for the National Kidney Foundation. So my role is to align with key external stakeholder groups, really across a, a wide range of industries, simply to advance the mission and objectives of the National Kidney Foundation. Happy to be here. So to get today rolling, Joseph, could you set the stage for our discussion with some basics? Basically, could you tell us what a clinical trial is and how they work? Sure. I think patients make clinical trials possible, and we need to be grateful to the people living with kidney disease who have made innovation possible. There are two kinds of clinical trials I think generally I like to think about. One is observational trials, and those just uh, observe a population over time to see how they change. And there's no intervention in observational trials. Um, so the um, Framingham Heart Study is an example of an observational trial that looked at patients over time and the development of cardiovascular disease and identified risk factors for cardiovascular. Interventional trials is kind of what you're more familiar with probably. They involve randomization of patients, flipping of the coin we like to say for usually a placebo or a sham treatment with the treatment. And a lot of patients think about uh, interventional trials as drug trials, but it, there's much more than uh, drug trials alone, although those are critical. There are also um, device trials. So uh, a type of dialysis access, for example, um, could be an example of a device trial. A diagnostic test trial, so a, a study that looks at 
impact of urine LV ratio testing uh, for patients over time, a lifestyle change like a, a change in diet or physical activity could be an example of an intervention trial. And then lastly, a surgical procedure could be, so a different type of surgical procedure could be offered for a patient. So that's another example of an interventional trial. And then typically thereafter, the patients are randomized. So we flip the coin and we try to have the patients be similar in the treatment groups, whether they receive the control or the placebo or the treatment. And then the patients are followed up over a period of time and then assessed for outcomes or endpoints. And typically there's a primary endpoint and that's the major change that the study is designed to evaluate. And then there are secondary endpoints also. So those are uh, endpoints that uh, the, the investigators think might change. And then there are also safety endpoints too, to ensure that the intervention is safe. And de depending on the intervention, there might be different kinds of safety endpoints, like certain drugs might have hyperkalemia or hypotassium in the blood as a safety endpoint. A device study might have bleeding or infection as a, as a safety endpoint. Thank you so much for that background info. It was really, really great to get that breakdown. So Anthony, I'm wondering if you could tell me what is the NKF's role in developing these new endpoints for clinical trials in kidney disease? Sure, I'd say that I'd say the NKF's role is threefold, right? First is simply to identify a need, right? The need for new therapies. The fact is that in kidney disease, as Dr. Vassilotti can attest to, there have been very few treatments. So one was to identify a need. Second is to represent patients, right? To be not only that patient's voice, but to ensure that patients are at the center of articulating what that need is. And then I think the third major role that NKF has played uh, is to act as a convener, right? So we are the ones who have been able to bring together all of those stakeholders that were necessary to make it happen. And in this case, there were three sort of core sets of stakeholders, patients, as represented by NKF. Then there were drug manufacturers or sponsors, people who are developing drugs. And then the third are the regulators. So like the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, who are responsible for approving new drugs. Oh, that's great. So we really make sure everyone's together and working to, to come to a solution together. Awesome. So Joseph, can you kind of expand on why this is so necessary and really critical for kidney patients? Kidney patients might not be aware that among all the specialties in kidney disease um, and in medicine in general, um, nephrology has really had the fewest number of clinical trials and has had very few innovations until recently. Um, we used to say as nephrologists, you know, all we have is ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers, kidney protective blood pressure medications, and that was pretty much it. Um, and then we had dialysis and kidney transplant. And now, because of some of the work that the National Kidney Foundation has done and that Anthony has just described, uh, we have many other uh, innovations and many other um, drugs specifically uh, that can help patients. And I think we can really offer patients hope that uh, we can prevent 
kidney failure. We can delay the onset of kidney failure. We can prevent cardiovascular complications. I think it's a really exciting time to be a kidney doctor or to be in the kidney field right now because we have so many um, exciting things that we can offer patients. And um, I think that it's, I hope that patients will start to feel that excitement and the, and the hope and uh, not uh, feel that uh, dialysis is a destination, you know, that, that we can make a difference. And if you are on dialysis, there's many things that we could do for you as well. Uh, and, uh, and I think that uh, uh, I'm really excited about the future. And I think this is just beginning. I think there are a lot of innovation in the pipeline that we'll hear about subsequently. Yeah, we'll definitely get to the pipeline soon. I'm very excited to talk about that aspect of it. And actually, I think our avid listeners may remember the last time Dr. Vassalotti was on talking about the game changers medicines um, with diabetes and kidney disease. So already we're seeing some of these great innovations really making a change. Um, I'm wondering either Dr. Vassalotti or Anthony or both of you, if you could kind of talk about since the scientific workshop meeting in 2018, what have been some of those impacts, you know, the new clinical endpoints? Sure, I, I could start it off and then Joe, if you want to jump in. And I think some of it relates, um, Marlena, to exactly what you've just said. So as a result of the new endpoints that were established, pharmaceutical companies have been able to design trials both for treatments that would be uh, for common causes of kidney disease like diabetes, right? Or for potential new treatments for rare types of kidney diseases that in the absence of these endpoints would not have been able to be designed, right? So for instance, the reason why these new endpoints are very helpful is they allow for clinical trials to be designed to establish trials that would not need to either run over a very long period of time or would not need to enroll thousands upon thousands of people in order for them to get to get an approval. Yeah, because some of these clinical trials can take, you know, 20 plus years. So I guess this is really helping speed that up. Exactly. Perfect. Now, Ken, from your perspective as a patient, what do you see as the greatest takeaway or impact that kidney patients are seeing from these efforts? No, the greatest impact uh, is that there's continued effort to push the march towards a cure forward. Uh, we can't lose sight of the fact that most of us feel a cure is inevitable at some point in time, but a lot of us have been waiting for a long time. And research focused on kidney disease is a benefit to all those who are suffering it but also all those who are not even diagnosed yet. These efforts provide tools to the practitioner and like Dr. J called, a hope for all kidney disease patients. Kidney disease is multifaceted. It takes constant and consistent effort to push for the cure. Establishing these endpoints, for instance, for guidance of research, it's important. It's, a, it's an aspect of progress and an initiation of clinical trials are the drivers, the drivers of a successful research. If we stop spending the research dollars, if we place research on the back burner, so to speak, where does it get us? It doesn't get us anywhere. 
and will not get us on to a cure. We're experiencing a huge increase in research and clinical trials in the kidney space, but it has been a long time coming and more is, is needed. Unfortunately, I have seen little change in treatment for FSGS as an example. It's pretty much still steroid bombardment and blood pressure control. The impact that good solid research centered on clinical endpoints is crucial to me and all other patients suffering from kidney disease. And I really said the backbone of improved care options and outcomes for the folks with kidney disease. We in the kidney community have always looked to the future and longed to be given a chance to have a stable and a healthy life. Seeing that the research is continuing and the new drugs are surfacing in the pipeline brings joy to my heart as with all other kidney patients. It's not enough, it needs to be more. Too many have died and too many die each day from this horrible disease. Thank you for continuing this research, all of you researchers out there, because it's a search for a cure. So let's not stop, it's too critical. Absolutely, yeah, the goal is to stop people from going into kidney failure and to help those who are in kidney failure get off dialysis and lead healthier lives. So I 100% agree with you, Kent. Your voice can be the sound of change. The National Kidney Foundation's Voices for Kidney Health community includes patients and care partner advocates working with elected officials to help those facing the challenges of kidney disease and to promote better kidney health nationwide. We advocate for policies that will help prevent and delay kidney disease, ensure quality care for patients with kidney failure, and make certain that everyone who wants a transplant can get one. Join us today at kidney.org slash voices. That's kidney.org slash voices. Anthony, could we now get to the pipeline for pharmaceutical companies and kind of what that means? Sure. I mean, very simply, um, a, a pipeline is, is essentially a, a list or a set of drug candidates that a company is working on to test. And as, as Dr. Vassile said, the test is done through a series of clinical trials to eventually bring to market a new therapeutic or treatment, in this case, in kidney disease. So that's essentially what a pipeline is. So a pipeline can be specific to just one pharmaceutical company, or sometimes when we, when we talk about the kidney pipeline, we're actually talking about a whole set of drugs that are being worked on by many drug companies, but all within the area of kidney disease. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that there's kind of the different levels of that. So thank you for explaining that. Um, Joseph, so as we hear more about late stage kidney uh, clinical trials for kidney disease, can you kind of tell me what that means? And can you also explain what the different stages or phases of clinical trials are? Because I, I understand that there's definitely more than one stage. Yes. So there's a whole bunch of stages that patients have to navigate in kidney disease. There's CKD stages. Some types of kidney disease have stages like lupus nephritis, for example, has um, classification, um, which we talk about classes. And now we're talking about FDA phases. So 
for drugs specifically, I think the first thing that people should know is even before the phases begin, there's an IND application. IND stands for investigational new drug, and there has to be animal data about toxicity of the drug, manufacturing information. There may be uh, some human uh, research in the past, as well as um, clinical protocols that are developed for the future, and then information about the investigational team. So all that is required to have uh, one of these INDs, investigational new drug um, applications um, approved. And then phase one really begins the journey of a drug and FDA approval. Phase one usually involves less than 100 people. They're healthy people without the condition that's being studied. Usually takes several months. And the main purpose of phase one studies are for safety and dosage um, of the medication involved. Most drugs, something like 70% of them, move on to the next phase. And that's called phase two. And that involves more patients, typically several hundred patients. But this time, instead of healthy people like phase one, phase two has people with the condition involved, like FSGS, for example, that Kent has. And in this phase, information about efficacy and side effects of the, uh, the drug is obtained. This is not enough information to provide approval, but will help the investigators design a phase three study and help them learn about the effectiveness of the medication and what uh, potential side effects um, the medication uh, can have. And about a third of drugs pass this phase two in the process. And then lastly, a much larger trial, often involving hundreds and thousands of patients and usually longer, you know, the phase one was, is months, phase two is months to years, and phase three typically is one to more years. Um, and phase three involves really efficacy and monitoring more for adverse reactions. And this is where um, the drug can ultimately be approved for use and marketing in the United States. And I think it's important to understand that even after uh, phase three, if a drug is approved and something like a quarter to a half of drugs that get to phase three are approved, um, there's post-marketing that goes on. That's some people call that phase four, where the additional studies are done to look at efficacy and evaluate uh, side effects and interactions with other medications or use in combination with other medications. So the, uh, the journey uh, of a drug uh, continues. But this helps, I think, explain why it takes so much time uh, to, uh, to take a drug through the journey of um, approval and why many drugs, and unfortunately, um, in the past decades, we've had many, many drugs fail in kidney disease until recently. So it's really an exciting time that so many drugs have been approved and have been approved for specific conditions like um, FSGS, membranous nephropathy, and IgA nephropathy. Um, and we talked a lot about SGLT2 inhibitors that I'm agog over, but those are not only for type 2 diabetes, but also for they can be given to most patients and many patients with kidney disease. Um, so I think there's a lot of hope and a lot of uh, more specific, I would say we're almost getting to precision medicine in nephrology where we can um, more tailor the uh, treatment to the specific condition that the patient has, like FSGS, and uh, also individualize to their uh, specific genetic makeup in some cases and, and also uh, individualized care.
Oh, that is so exciting to hear. And I'm actually wondering, you gave us a really good breakdown of what a clinical trial is. Kent, in your experience and with your own journey and in talking with other people with kidney disease, do you think kidney patients are aware of clinical trials and you know what all they entail? I think there's a lot of hesitancy initially. And, it, and that's, you know, I think it has to do a lot with urgency, how urgent uh, your, your condition is. Uh, everybody looks, like I said earlier on, for the cure, and then that's that's admirable, and it's also healthy. But it's understandable, and you have to work towards getting as much information as you can. And it's essential to be inquisitive. Even if you don't think you have questions and you embrace it, you will have soon, you'll soon learn more about the whole process. You can't learn about it if you don't ask questions, but it's okay early on to figure out Maybe I don't know as much. And the more you learn, the better off you're going to be. One last thought. How can we find a cure unless you and I get involved in a clinical trial? Without research, without these clinical trials, we stop looking. And if research stops, we'll never find a cure. That's very true. We definitely need to keep on going. Steady, reliable support from listeners like you keep the National Kidney Foundation in action on behalf of families facing kidney disease in communities across the country. Just $5 each month helps keep our life-saving resources, education, and guidance free for patients, their loved ones, and healthcare providers. Get started today at kidney.org monthly to make a difference. That's kidney.org monthly. Anthony, could you kind of, you know, we as we keep on going as an organization, so what are we doing to further these efforts and where do we go from here? It's a great question. I think that Kent has touched a little bit upon it. And really the National Kidney Foundation sees as one of our primary roles is in educating patients around opportunities for participation in clinical trials, making patients aware that clinical trials exist within their disease state, again, whether that be ADPKD or IgA nephropathy or membranous, whatever their disease may be. So we want people to be aware that these trials exist. We want to educate them on how they can find out more information and how they can be armed with all, with all of the necessary data that had, Kent had talked about earlier, because at the end of the day, the bottom line is, as both Dr. Vasilati and Kent has said, we will not have new therapies unless we have clinical trials. And we will not have clinical trials unless we have people that are willing to participate in them. So the National Kidney Foundation is really doing everything that we can to make people aware that there are opportunities for them. Yeah, and I think it's important for people listening to know that researchers and healthcare professionals really put your health at the center. So, you know, there might be some risks associated with these trials, but, you know, the potential benefits, they could very possibly outweigh those those risks. Um, so for patients and family members listening, where can they go to learn more about these active clinical trials and drug pipelines and our efforts? Yeah, I guess that's the big question, right? So National Kidney Foundation, we actually have a really, a very, very detailed section of our website 
uh, that talk a little bit about uh, everything from what is a clinical trial, so some of the very basic information that Dr. Vasilati has already presented, to uh, some more detailed information around how they can actually find trials in their disease area. So we have a couple of uh, handy tools on our website whereby you can actually type in what your disease is, you can type in your geographic area, and it'll actually provide you back. It's almost like the kayak of clinical trials, right? So how people search for hotels and other vacation spots. We have a similar tool on our website that will allow you to essentially match what you may be um, eligible to participate in uh, around what, what is currently happening. So I would, I would really recommend that people go to the National Kidney Foundation website and look up uh, what is a clinical trial. Yeah, and we will absolutely add that link to the show notes so anyone who's interested in learning more can sign up. And I'm pretty sure that we have an area where you sign up and then these opportunities are emailed right to you. Joseph, I was wondering if you had anything you wanted to add in there. Sure. Well, I think that I've heard many patients say that uh, I don't want you folks experimenting on me and then they have sort of a negative perception of clinical trials. Um, and I think that it's important to understand the benefit. And I think there's two types of benefit. There's individual benefit, so that is access to a diagnostic test or an intervention that you might not otherwise have access to. Uh, generally, you get closer monitoring of your condition than you might otherwise if you participate in the trial. You interact with clinical trialists and the clinical research team that are innovators, um, and your condition might improve. Um, also, I think there's a greater good that you um, are, have the opportunity to advance diagnostic or treatment knowledge, and really the opportunity to help other people like you who are, are suffering. There's risks, and there are individual risks, and there's an informed consent process, and as an individual, you have the opportunity to process the information and decide whether or not the individual benefit and the greater good benefit um, outweigh your individual risk. And only you can decide that. But I think even being evaluated for a clinical trial, even if you decide not to participate, um, might be informative and might help you understand your disease process or understand different approaches to your care uh, that might uh, differ from the usual standard of care that exist in the absence of innovation. Um, so I think I would encourage uh, consideration of participation in clinical trials and talking to your family and support group uh, about that and uh, www.kidney.org, K-I-D-N-E-Y.org, um, slash research hyphen connect is one place you can look. And I think something called clinicaltrials.gov is another one that I tend to recommend. Um, but um, keep in mind the exciting changes that we have had in better diagnosis of kidney disease and better treatments for kidney disease are all possible because of clinical innovators and because of people living with kidney disease like you who participated. Absolutely. And Kent, I'm, you touched a little bit on this before, but for anyone who might be hesitant you know, to even think about a clinical trial, what would you as a kidney patient say to them? Yeah. What frightens you? You've got the one of the worst conditions in the world to live with, and you face a lot of uh, negative options for outcomes. What better way to preserve what's coming for the people behind you? 
uh, may not help you in in your lifetime, but think about the people behind you. Please think about that very carefully because there are so many that don't even know they have this disease. And if they get diagnosed and you've been part of a trial that has given us new therapies, then everybody wins, especially those that are coming from at what I call the, the rear guard that don't even know they have this yet. That's some excellent advice. Yeah, people who are taking part in these clinical trials really have the ability to impact not only their own life, but the lives of other people with kidney disease. And that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a, it is an impact. You may not think it means much, but I can tell you if somebody would have told me, other than the fact I have a disease that's not going to go away, it can't be cured. If I could someday say, you know, we do now because of research, have a drug that will stop this in its tracks. I tell you what, that would be tremendous. And I think that's what all kidney patients want in their hearts. It's not a matter of slowing it down or turning it around. It's a matter of curing it. And we can't do it without research. Absolutely. Research is so critical. It's so key. So as we are wrapping up, does anyone have any final thoughts on clinical trials and their importance? I, I'd say, you know, for me, a, a final thought kind of echoes some of the sentiments that, that Kent has just expressed. And everybody is familiar with the, the phrase, knowledge is power. I think at the National Kidney Foundation, we, we like to take it one step further. And we like to say, knowledge, choice, control. And the thing is, when, when you have the information that you need, that knowledge allows you to make choices that are appropriate for you. And at the end of the day, those appropriate choices will allow you to have control of your life. And I think that's what ultimately you know, everybody is, is looking for. So that, that is well said. My, my heart, it just longs for a cure here. I've had this disease for almost 50 years, right? And I can't imagine what it'd be like just in the last five years, what I've seen that has transpired. It has to give you pause, but it also has to give you hope. And Dr. V, you keep going, you keep working this, you keep making sure that you stay in this hunt because we, we need people like you to be consistent and conscious and always involve the patients. You do that and we got this. Fantastic. Thank you. And it's, you know, people living with kidney disease like you inspire us. You know, you inspire me and we feel um, invigorated uh, by your strength and how you overcome uh, all the challenges in your life that you that you face. And we want to give you a full life. So uh, I would say to people living with kidney disease, be the captain of your own ship, uh, you know, navigating your care. And uh, we're the National Kidney Foundation. We're here to help you um, move forward. And thank you. Absolutely. Dr. Bastelotti, Anthony Kent, thank you all so much for taking the time to talk about kidney disease. And I just appreciate your time. And, you know, hopefully we will have that cure soon enough. And I know that everyone here at NKF is going to keep pushing for that. We end each episode giving a shout out to a kidney patient who's celebrating a major milestone. 
In July of 2017, Emily received a life-saving gift of kidney donation. Congratulations on six years kidney strong, Emily. We're wishing you many more. Thank you for listening. Do you have any questions? Email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcasts@kidney.org. We hope you will join us next time. And from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.